your Bible, we turn again to passage for our consideration on this morning. Judges 13. We read only verses 1 through 3. And then verse 15. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and bare not. The angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold, now, Thou art barren, and bearest not. But thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Then, of course, there was that glorious visitation of that angel who was God. In verse 15, Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let me detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. Turn with me again in your hymn book, please, to number 490, and stand with me, sing together, return, my roving heart return. Return my roving heart, return and life's made shadows days. No more seek out some solitude and thy forsaken God implore. O thou great God, whose piercing eye distinctly marks each deep retreat in these sequestered hours draw nigh and let me hear thy presence speak through all the windings of my heart my search left heavenly wisdom guide, and still its radiant beams impart, he'll all be known and purified. Then let the of thy love my inmost soul 
taken, as you know, for these sermons in this particular chapter, I have exclusively taken phrases or words from the chapter itself to use as titles for my messages in the exposition of these portions. And I have, taking up again today, not a new message, but the message unfinished from last week, I have taken up to try to complete the study of this chapter, taken up that phrase at the beginning of verse 15, Manoah speaking to the angel, the angel, the Lord, and I have allowed myself the liberty to take his words and make them my own. In speaking to you, when Manoah said, I pray thee, let me detain thee. And so I have asked that I may detain you yet a little while in this 13th chapter and I said to you that this message could be subtitled, Helpful Gleanings, from the 13th chapter. Some helpful gleanings. The first I gave you on last week, I sought to answer from this text, a question so profound, so pertinent for every saint. Why does God delay so long his deliverance? Why does he sometimes linger so long? This is a question that is painfully relevant for all of God's sheep. We're thrown sometimes into the deepest of valleys, maybe physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, sometimes within our marriages, sometimes in our relationship with our children or in our involvement in our jobs, or what have you. We're thrown into a place where God has left us. The heavens are brass. The ground is cold beneath our feet. And our hearts cannot help but cry out at times, Why does God wait? What is He waiting for? What is he lingering for? Why doesn't he come? Why doesn't he help me? 
We investigated that question on last week. And I said to you that I could preach not just another sermon. I could preach every sermon for this entire year in attempting to answer that question because it is so deep and broad. And there's so many things involved. But I said to you that we would limit ourselves to the answers provided from this text only. And in doing that, we found a very clear, simple, and certain answer in verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil. In the sight of the Lord. Surely, as I preached on last week, and I hope I was able just to make the point, surely we have to say, whatever else may be our state, and we're in a state of what the Puritans call desertion, or a crook in the lot, surely we must know that at the root of it all is this problem, sin. Dear Thomas Boston said, a just view of afflicting incidences is altogether necessary to the Christian deportment under them. And then he said, it cannot be questioned. But that the crook in the lot, considered as a crook, is a penal evil, whatever it is, in the matter thereof. That is, whether the thing in itself, its immediate cause and occasion, be sinful or not, it is certainly, certainly a punishment and affliction for sin. Sin has caused him to desert Israel. In verse 1 of this chapter. Caused him to desert Israel. For 40 years. 40 years. We talked at length about that on last week. Simons. Joseph Simons said that this cup hath gone round ever since the beginning of time, so that few have ever tasted of the waters of life, but that they have tasted also of the waters of Mara. If you have not yet experienced that as a believer, as a young, new believer, you will. Because our God will purge from us sin. All sin. Sin unrepented, I said. Sin unrepented or only half repented of will delay the sure mercies of God. Why so long, Lord? Why so long? Well, of all the multiple answers, this one is surely at the top of the list. Sin. Our sin. Isn't it true that our God brings us in deep places that we may see better our sin? We get ourselves in a position that we think we're 
doing well. And the Lord must surely be pleased with us. <laughs> then he sends some affliction and suddenly we start seeing the foul birds that dwell in the nest of our hearts. Exposes our sin. But then as a sidelight I gave you the fact that mercy is long waited for proved to be the most precious. And by them others are encouraged to continue and wait. What a blessed word that is. What a blessed word that is. Why does God wait so long? Our sins. But oh, when he comes, how rich are those blessings. Secondly, I gave you as a gleaning, helpful gleanings. I detained thee longer to show you that the repetition of God's visitations are sometimes needed for our full comprehension. The repetition of God's visitations. Menorah cried in verse 8, Entreated the Lord, oh my Lord. Let the man of God which thou didst send come again. Let him come again. Oh, the repetition of visitations from God are sometimes needed for a full comprehension. I said to you that such is the dullness of our perception that sanctification is a lifelong work and cannot be shortcut or rushed to a conclusion. Lifelong work. And God must come again and come again and come again. Such is the dullness of our understanding. He must come again. Could I just say to you. It seems to be. As with everything else in American culture. We want it quick. We won't, don't want to wait. We get impatient. In the drive-thru, at the restaurant, get impatient with a red light. And I fear because of the nature of our culture and our society and our lifestyle, we become impatient with God. I want to get on with it. Because of that, and I've watched this here in this county, some of you would know if I made any reference at all to certain Incidences here. Some have mistaken zeal for sanctification. Oh, how many young men, some come to my mind now, young men, jumped up and said God called them to preach, and boy, they seemed like they were on fire, burned at both ends, and the churches they were in mistook that zeal for real sanctification. And it's not so. And the next thing you know, they're in a pulpit and pastoring a church and they don't even know the 
fundamentals of the scriptures. They don't even know the fundamental doctrines of the gospel. And the church has made the mistake of mistaking zeal for sanctification. Sanctification is a process. It's hard. It's long. It's the work of God purging out of us our sin. And exposing our sin nature. And it doesn't happen quickly. And it can't be shortcut. And it can't be rushed to a conclusion. Time. Maturity. Sanctification. God's visitations are necessary to be repeated. And repeated. And repeated. One scholar said, there are visitations of God and signs of his favor that are not fully comprehended the first time. And their repetition alone can satisfy the cravings of the heart and the wonder of spiritual understanding. God is considered of our human weakness. And he visits us again. It takes time. Send him again, Manoah said. Oh, God, send him again. Is that not the cry of every saint that's heard it once? Known his visitation once? Oh, God, send him again. Send him again. But now this morning, to finish out your study of this, Helpful. I hope, I hope these are helpful things, helpful gleanings. Let me detain thee yet again for a moment and give you another. The Lord will use the most unlikely instrument in doing his greatest work. Usually from the most humble beginnings. The Lord will use the most unlikely instrument in doing his greatest work. Usually from the most humble beginnings. I think I read it to you already before. But I don't hesitate to read it to you again. One commentator said... That at the time that God sent Samson to begin Israel's deliverance, the crisis was grave. The relief was, humanly speaking, impossible. The family chosen for this experiment was an ordinary one and of no social standing that we know. The mother of the promised child was barren. And the sustenance that was enjoined on her for his delivery was of the most meager description and not likely to produce strength or furnish artificial stimulus. There were no in, there was no inward holiness Shown by Samson. 
but God had sent him and sent him to a little maiden. And oh, what commendations, I ask you, what commendations came with his arrival? Absolutely none. He had no pedigree to boast of. He had no title to inherit. He had no possessions or prominence. He was the late arriving son of an Israelite slave in bondage under captivity. Somebody said Samson the hero was first a child at the mercy of the weakest. The grandest river, said this commentator, the grandest river springs from a little streamlet. The noblest man enters life as just the same as the meanest does in helpless infancy. So the spiritual life of the saint, the martyr, the apostle is seen first in him as in a babe in Christ. It is therefore no dishonor to have a small beginning, but it is a dishonor to remain small. The one question is, do we grow mentally, spiritually, in knowledge, in holiness, in power? There's more to be expected of the minute growing seed than of a dead stump. Did you hear that? Did you make the connection? He said there's more to be expected out of a tiny little seed that's growing than a dead stump. Better to be a growing child of the Lord than a dwarf adult without Christ. Verse 25 in our text, the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of David. The Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. But he had no pedigree. He had no position. The Lord started with the most unlikely material. And this commentator pointed out that even her diet her sustenance appointed by God was very unlikely to help this child be strong. That the glory may be to God alone. Whatever he does. Oh, my young friends this morning, never despise the days those early days of lowly beginnings. Every senior starts a freshman. What God will do with a young life given to his service early. Somebody said, I don't remember where I heard it the first time many years ago. God saves a sinner in old age. He saves a soul 
But when he saves a sinner in youth, he saves a soul and a life. And a life. Oh, what God will do with a young life given to his service early. Oh, look with me. Look with me at that glorious word picture. Oh, and what a word picture it is. Look with me at that glorious word picture painted like a Rembrandt of language. In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 1, listen to it. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen, thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. He was made, he was formed just as two cells combined in the mother's womb, but the Lord's going to help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jerusalem, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water upon him that's thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring, and they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the water courses. Oh, bless his holy name. He may make beginning. They may make a beginning that looks like nothing more than a little bit of grass. But he said, I'll bless them and I'll pour my water on them and they'll spring up and they'll be like mighty trees, great willows by the water's courses. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What our God will do with a young life given to his service. Minor, small beginnings indeed. Oh, our God is pleased to do it that way. What about the example? No greater example have we of this truth, this doctrine, than the example of our Lord Himself. Luke chapter 2 and verse 39. When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, you remember the scene? You remember the scene when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord. They returned into Galilee to hear their own, uh, to their own city Nazareth. Look at verse 40. The child grew. The child grew. Waxed strong in spirit. Filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. In verse 46, and it came to pass that after three days they found, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them, Questions, verse 47, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. They were amazed, verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and man. Tell your goal. He's sitting in the temple 
and he's asking and answering questions, and they were astonished. But need I remind you where he started? In a manger. Shut out. Family unknown. Nothing we're off to boast in terms of the flesh. But for 12 years he had grown. He had grown. He had grown in knowledge and wisdom and understanding in his human nature. And I say to you again, oh, Whoa, what God will do with a young life turned over to his service in early days. What God will do. Samson. Samson came along with nothing to commend him. But he was committed by covenant to God from before he was born. Some of you in this room have been committed to the Lord before you were ever born, before you ever knew anything, saw the light of day. You were committed to the Lord. Humble beginnings. I could go through history, share life after life, story after story. I'll not take the time. You know, and I've proved from the scripture already what great things God will do with a young life given his service. Oh, my youthful friends, I beg you, don't waste it. Don't waste it. You don't know what God may do with you. Helpful gleanings. But now, just on the heels of that truth, and connected to it, allow me yet one more to detain thee. Please allow me to detain thee. I pray thee. I give you this morning that some men's work may only begin in one lifetime. While the greater plan and ultimate purpose of God may not be seen. Notice with me, and I might have mentioned it once before in chapter 13 and verse 5. The end of that verse, the angel tells Mrs. Manoah, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines, and he shall Begin. Some men's work may only begin. The greater work of God, purpose of God, 
in his lifetime. This work, this work of delivering Israel out of the hand of the Philistines, this work will never see completion until later under Eli and Samuel and Saul and David and ultimately under Solomon. Even in the splendor of his final, ultimate self-sacrifice in chapter 16 of this book, even in the splendor of that final, ultimate self-sacrifice, even then the work is only begun. Only begun. Oh, all too long. How narrow and short-sighted is our view. Because of the limitations of our sad depravity, how very often is our view of what God's doing so narrow and short-sighted. <laughs> David, says our Lord, David, I'll let you secure peace. And I'll even let you gather the materials. But you'll never see my temple. Only your son will know that judgment. You listen to me? Some men's lives may be poured out. Only to begin. Oh, in over, if I may give you an example from history, in over five years, Bloody Mary, in her hot, horrible reign in England, in her five years, over 280 martyrs for Christ were burned alive. Hanged, drawn, or quartered. But oh, Brother John. Oh, they left this world in torturous agony to inherit eternal life. But they never saw what God was going to do when in 1557 she lit a fire in Smithfield to burn seven more. And God took the light of that fire and send it out for gospel life for generations to come. They didn't see it. They didn't live to see it. All they saw was the fire burning their bodies around them. But God started work. God started. That has carried for generations the blessed doctrines of the Reformation and revival. Oh, I said again, how narrow and short-sighted is our view most of our lives. But I may I just admonish our hearts today. 
if we never live to see the fruit of all our gospel labors, let us not slump or lag in our planting and watering. God may be beginning a work. And if all we ever see is the beginning, God will do the work. And we may be allowed to be in the beginnings of it. Let me encourage our students, from the youngest to the eldest, as you go back to your schoolwork, you maybe can't see in these beginnings what it's all for. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Be faithful. Be faithful. God is beginning to work in your life. Oh, I wonder, do we remember this morning, Galatians 6 and 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Brethren, we may reap, we will reap, if we faint not. It might not be today. I bless the Lord and I appreciate. I bless the Lord how Luke prayed earlier. Lord, why not today? Why not today? Why not today? It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week. It might not be next year. It might not be in my lifetime. But God will begin a work. And He will perform it. Somewhere. Somewhere. He will perform it. Mrs. Manoah said the angel, You're going to bear a son. And He's going to begin work. I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to see it out. But he's going to begin it. Here's a gospel truth worthy of our attention. But I cannot leave this final point without one unavoidable Gospel application. <laughs> Those of you that know me will find no surprise there. Can I just point out to you that Samson only began the work. And by God's very appointment, he could not finish it. But in that, he is unlike our blessed Lord whom the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 He is the author and finisher hallelujah of our salvation. <laughs> hey, He didn't come to start something. He wasn't going to finish. 
That word author in that text in Hebrews 12 too, you have a Greek lexicon. You don't need my help, but can I just point it out to you? Archegos, the word author. It means one who is takes the lead, one who is first. But then the word finisher. <laughs> Teleotesi. It means a perfecter, a consummator. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hebrews 12, 2. The Lord Jesus came. He started the work of God's redemption of his people. He started it before he arrived. But I want you to know when he left out of here on the top of that mountain and the disciples saw him go up. Hallelujah. He had finished the work. Finished the work. Finished the work. <laughs> oh, yes. He had finished the work. Jude first, Jude verse 22. Now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you how faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. He can present us Faultless. And I wrote in my Bible, some preacher somewhere, I wish I'd have put his name down. Some preacher somewhere said, Christ's bride will not be an amputee. Hallelujah. There won't be anything imperfect about it. There'll be no deformity. He will finish the work. Hallelujah. He's finished the work. Full atonement. Can it be? Woo, full atonement, can it be? Finish the work. Away with this false gospel that has Christ in heaven wringing his hands, wishing he could finish the work, just hoping somebody will cooperate and enough will cooperate that the work can be called finished. Oh, away with that doctrine. No, sir, at Calvary, when he said it is finished, it was finished. He didn't just start the work, he finished it. Guaranteed its completion. Jews said one day he'll present us faultless. Faultless. Whatever faults you see in me this morning, you won't find them when we get them. He'll present his faults. Brother, he's not just the beginner of it. He's the finisher of it. And in this, poor Samson does not mimic our Lord. Finished the work. Well, I'll not detain thee any longer. But I hope the Lord will help you with some of these helpful gleams. Turn with me, if you will, in your hymn book to number 425 and stand with me, please. We sing together 425.
25. Come let us join our souls to God with everlasting bands and seize the blessings he bestowed with eager hearts and hands. Come let us join our souls to God in everlasting bands and seize the blessing He bestows with eager hearts and hands. Come let us to his temple haste and see his favor there before his footstool humbly bow and offer and pray and come let us share without delay the blessings of his grace nor shall the years of distant life their memory fade oh may our children ever haste to see their father's God nor ever forsake the happy path their father's feet have trod 